Well, I was planning on preaching something else tonight. Spending some time in my study this afternoon, I just felt a very clear direction that I should go ahead and preach what I was going to preach this morning tonight. I'm not sure I understand that, but since I paraphrased it this morning, so maybe uh, that paraphrase this morning, reiterating tonight, that repetition will be what we need. So thankful for God's goodness. Uh, Thank you again for singing that song this evening. Praise God. Would you bow your head with me as I ask God's special anointing in this part of the service? Our Father in heaven, we're thankful. I'm thankful tonight for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for the goodness of God. Thank you for these young people that have sung tonight that stir our hearts that they would also realize in their own experience of your faithfulness. I pray, Lord, that you would bless in this part of the service. You know what we have need of. You know what you've laid on my heart. And I pray for your divine anointing. I can't do it without you. I'm unable to. I need your touch. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. pretty much already gave you a little what the 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 beginning part about Lent 40 days not counting the Sundays I don't think I said that this morning but 40 days of Lent Sundays are not included in that 40 days representing the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness enduring the temptation of Satan preparing uh, to begin his earthly ministry Lent has become known to be a time of repentance, fasting, and preparation for the coming of Easter. It's a time of self-examination and reflection. I was a little bit uh, taken aback when I read that Sundays are not included in the count of 40 days for Lent because Sunday represents many Easter. And so in the time of preparation, that that, uh, Sundays are not included in that 40 days because it's a mini-Easter. And it's referred to as Sunday in Lent, not Sunday of Lent. And on these Lord's days in Lent, while the Lenten fast continues, the reverent spirit of Lent is tempered with joyful, listen to this, with joyful anticipation of resurrection. Joyful anticipation of resurrection. That's, that's what brings the reality or the excitement of Easter is that joyful anticipation of his resurrection. Just to uh, reiterate a little bit again that uh, Lent is a time of repentance, fasting, and preparation for the coming of Easter and uh, self-examination and reflection. 
And I'm all, I'm all in for celebrating the risen Lord every single Lord's Day. I like that thought that we carry every Lord's Day, that we are celebrating, we are celebrating the risen Lord. When I look at Lent, I'm deeply intrigued, or maybe I could say that I'm moved by the Lent season and what it is supposed to be about. We talk about a fast, and people talk about a fast. They give up something for Lent. Have you heard somebody say that? Maybe you've talked about it. Give up something for Lent. You know, I can give up Dr. Pepper for 40 days. That wouldn't mean nearly as much as giving up coffee, though. I could give up hash browns for breakfast. I like hash browns for breakfast. It's good. Onions in them, a little bit of, little bit of uh, ketchup maybe on it. But that wouldn't mean near as much in the way of fasting or giving up something for Lent that, uh, that eggs would, would mean for breakfast. You know, eggs, scrambled, fried, poached, omelet, Whew. eggs. Sometimes my wife does boiled eggs, and I'll sneak one out and, you know, use it for breakfast. It's a quick, easy way for breakfast. I could say that for Lent, I'm going to give up shopping at Amazon. Most of us are tired of Amazon shipping things anyway. That'd be easy to give up for Lent, shopping at Amazon, but maybe a little more difficult to give up shopping at Marketplace. You can find all kinds of good things on Marketplace. As much as I like McDonald's fries, I could give up McDonald's for the 40 days of Lent. That wouldn't mean near as much as giving up Velma's for Lent. You know, how much are we willing? How much are we willing to step aside and give up in, the, in this place called fasting and reflection and to bring us into a spirit of worship, to bring us into the celebration of His resurrection? And the whole thing of fasting during Lent is what, is what should be a, a meaningful, a meaningful fast if we're going to participate in it. Now, I don't, I don't really know what most people do in fasting during Lent. I haven't gone around and asked a whole bunch of opinions as to what they do, whether here or in some other church. I don't really know what they give up. That's not an important thing to me. But if, if it's about just simply getting by with as little as possible, but still give up something, then I have to ask myself the question, am I doing it for selfish motives or am I really seeking after God? And that seems to be what the Lenten, Lenten season is all about, is to really seek after God. Now here's a thought. Here's a thought for us. Is my spiritual focus centered around the idea that I presented last Sunday from an early church father that he said where, where he said that the Holy Spirit's purpose is to is to fit us, is to fit us for God. Now that's one of the early church fathers that, that listened to and, and, and held to the beliefs and the doctrines of the apostles. 
carried over. And so here he is as an early church father telling us that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to fit us for God. I mentioned that Paul the Apostle mentions the will of God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? Well, we can understand here in Scripture that God's intention, God's intention for man is to be holy. God intends for man to be holy. And so if Lent is a time of repentance and self-examination, then that would be the focus, that in my effort, in my desire, in my hunger to be what God wants me to be, my reflection or my repentance would include those things that He is speaking to me about, that I know about, that I realize either from His Word or from Him sharing with me and and communicating with me. He's drawing me closer to Him in that place of holy living. Holiness begins in regeneration. Holiness begins in salvation. That's where holiness begins. That's that's what we call in theology classes initial sanctification. It begins at salvation, at the point of regeneration. David Spivey shared a quote yesterday by Oswald Chambers. God, and I'm quoting it here, God has one destined end for mankind, holiness. His one aim is the production of saints. Now I stepped back a little bit when I I read that. And I came to the conclusion that that is right, that it is accurate. Now, if we were to change that and say mass production, you know, an assembly line production, that would change things. But he, is, he intends to produce saints. His one aim is, to, is the production of saints. God is not an eternal blessing machine for men. He did not come to save men out of pity. He came so he came to save men because he created them to be holy. Oswald Chambers. He created them to be holy. The will of God is further understood through the uh, the epistle that Paul wrote in Thessalonians to the Thessalonians in five twenty three that to be sanctified holy as Wingrove Taylor wrote it in his book is the the whole the whole cleansed self the whole cleansed self spirit soul and body. You can read it there, the very God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, once again, once again we come to this conclusion here that God's intention for man is to be holy. I heard somebody say recently that we can take Christ's name in vain simply by taking on his name and then going out and living 
wrongfully. We don't have to use it verbally, but just simply taking on his name, putting on the cloak of Christianity and going out and and using that cloak wrongfully, taking his name in vain. God's intention for man is to be holy, to put that cloak of righteousness on and live holy. Live holy, to be holy. The will of God. What is the will of God? What is the intention of God? Now, I've already said it a couple of times, a few times here, that God's intention, God's will for man is to be holy. Recently listened to R.G. Flexen on the uh, convention pulpit, and he was preaching in Dayton and IHC back in 1976. He said, I don't know what the will of the Lord is. Or he was saying, some people would say, I don't know what the will of the Lord is. But then he went on to answer that. He said, you can find out if you get your own will out of the way. I went back and listened to that a couple of times. I wanted to make sure that I understood what he was saying. If we don't know what the will of the Lord is, we can find out if we get our own will out of the way. Get your own will out of the way, he said. Then God can reveal his will to you. Here's where the problem is, perhaps, in a lot of people's lives. If the lenses through which we are seeking God's will is smudged with our own will, we won't find a clarity of God's will. Those of you that don't wear glasses may not understand the terminology of lenses and smudges. The only good smudges are the ones that the grandkids put on the glasses. It's hard to see when there's smudges and scratches. Did you get that? If the lenses through which we are seeking God's will is smudged or scratched... With our own will, we won't find the clarity of God's will. Somebody said, well, the Holy Ghost is my, is my guide. The Holy Spirit is my guide. Great, that's wonderful. Is he leading you to identify with the culture, or is he leading you to stand out, to stand separate, to, to be holy? Whether we understand it or not, the thing about deception is that it's a frightening thing. The reality that the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us. He's trying to reveal to us. But the lenses through which we are reading Him and trying to understand Him is smudged by something that is contaminated with self or sin. And we can't hear, we can't see, we can't understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to lead us. Is that Holy Spirit that we're trying to follow, leading us towards this culture, then identity with the culture, or is he leading us to identify with the holiness of God, the holy of God that he intends for his people to live in? There's two different, there's two special uh, comes of Christ. Wingrove Taylor talks about it. 
The first one is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Taylor said that the commanding call is to come to Jesus for rest, to take a yoke in companionship with Christ. He said, this is entrance sanctification. Entrance sanctification, the initial sanctification, that coming and finding rest from the burden of sin. You turn over a few pages to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's the second special call of Christ to come. Come unto me, all you that labor. Come unto me or come after me and let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Taylor said that this is the call to come after Jesus in renunciation. In renunciation. We're finding a lot of things in the church realm, in in Christendom, popular Christendom today, that you don't have to renounce sin. You don't have to turn your back on sin. You don't have to turn away from sin. That you can live however it was that you lived before. That God in His gracious mercy extends that to everybody. And ultimately everybody will be saved. Well, be careful, be careful. Be careful who you're listening to. I believe that Taylor had it right when he said that this is the call to come after Jesus in renunciation and to take a cross for crucifixion with Christ. And he says that this is entire sanctification. That death to self with Christ, the renunciation of my will, the death of myself, the death of my personal desire, and nail it on his cross. God's intention for man is to be holy. But if my intention is to protect my own will, to seek my own desires, to have my own way, then his will will remain foggy. And I don't want to give anybody's cover away. I don't want to give anyone's cover away here. But if a person has a, is having a serious amount of difficulty uh, with, um, with confusion... Dare I say it tonight, I don't want to hurt anybody, I don't want to blow anybody's cover, but really when a person is dealing with a lot of confusion in their lives, it very well could be rooted in this very thing, that they are unwilling to yield themselves to his full embrace. His will will remain foggy if we are determined or if our intention is to protect my own will, to seek my own desires, to have my own way. Going further in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Repentance, fasting, preparation for the coming of Easter. It's a time of self-examination and reflection. 
maybe the secret can be found in the Lord's, perhaps the Lord's greatest sermon that it's found in Matthew chapter 5 that I briefly shared this morning. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. <clears throat> How hungry am I for knowing God's will? How hungry am I for understanding God's intention for man, for me? Am I willing to get my will out of the way in order to find his will? Am I willing to get the smudges of my lenses, the protecting my own self and my interest, wiped off of the glass so that I can see clearly, so that I can hear him and understand him and believe that his intention for man, for me, is to be holy. And he's provided all the means necessary for that to happen. That's not some figment that's out there for someone to reach for and reach for and reach for, but it's something that he has provided for even in this day. Let me conclude with another quote here. This one is from David Spivey himself. He said, remember, holiness is not legalism. Though it promotes carefulness, get that. Holiness pro promotes carefulness. It's not legalism, but it is love. It is love. Love that has been purified by and enamored with the person of Christ. You and I can't love right until we love with Christian love. Holiness is love. What is it? What is it that John Wesley has coined and has been carried down through these uh, hundred year, hundreds of years since his time? Perfect love. We find it in Scripture, actually, but he, he carries it. He, he talks so much about it that there is a perfectness of love. And God's intention for mankind, for people, his followers, is to love is to be holy, and in that holiness is a love that goes out. I don't know what Lent means to you, if it means anything. Maybe you just uh, carry on through the whole, the whole season and just focus entirely on, on what comes during Holy Week. But whatever the case... May this time reflection of reflection in our own individual lives draw us closer to his intention so that the price that he paid on Calvary is not paid in vain for us individually. That we will take the sacrifice of Calvary and allow it to do its work within our heart and the coming of the Holy Spirit to do His work to fit us for God. Let's stand together. We used to sing it often when I was a kid. 
It was easy to sing as a child. A little bit more difficult when we un- I un- began to understand the words. I'm going through, I'm going through. I'll pay the price no matter what others do. I'm going through. And if I'm going through, he will lead me. As I hunger and thirst for him, he will lead me to live holy. May God help us. Praise God. Is every heart clear this evening? Travis, would you dismiss us in prayer?